I think that's got to be the most important thing is the people that you work with. And of course, like I, we're very lucky with what we get to cook with, but there's no doubt that there's like a lot of monotony in, in a job of being a chef or, or being a front of house person. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Applying your craft and making a name for yourself in a regional setting requires a very different approach to that of chefs in the capital cities. With many making the move from the city to the regions, what's it like to reverse that trend and go from the country to the city? Does it change the way you cook? Ali Curry Vumad is the head chef of Public Wine Shop in Melbourne, Victoria. Ali, how are you? Hey, I'm well, thanks. Thanks for having me. It's good to have you on the show. Um, you've had a fascinating career to date, even though you're still quite young. Uh, you, you came from the countryside in Tasmania with a well, well-known restaurant, Agrarian Kitchen, into Melbourne. What, what was that transition like for you? Well, I mean, I'd, um, I had lived in Melbourne previously. So, I mean, the move down to Agrarian was from Melbourne, so I guess I kind of bunny hopped back again. Um, so it wasn't uh, it wasn't totally new, I guess. <laughs> Tell us about your time in Tasmania. You spent quite a bit of time there and really rose the ranks um, at the Agrarian. What was the reason for moving to Tasmania? Um, so I uh, was born and raised in Tasmania and did school down there. Um, and towards the end of my schooling, I'm not sure if you know as well, but in Tasmania, it might have changed now, but high school just goes to year 10. Um, and, and then you go to college or you choose a trade or etc. cetera. Um, so I finished year 10 and, and chose to trade. And a lot of that was due to the fact that I was already working kind of as a kitchen hand, uh, in a restaurant called Smolt that doesn't exist anymore. There was a man working there called Luke Burgess, who you might be familiar with, um, whose best friend was a man called Rodney Dunn, who had just opened the Agrarian Kitchen Cooking School uh, in Lachlan in the Derwent Valley, uh, about 40 minutes out of Tasmania. And so I met Rodney then when I was 16 um, and ended up doing quite a lot of volunteering out there and, and getting in the garden as much as possible. And uh, every time I'd... So then I moved to, sorry, then I moved to Melbourne a year after that. Um, But every time I came back to visit family, I would like always go and visit Rodney and and Severine. Um, And it was a very like, uh, it was kind of like a good, like the city was very big and busy. And especially in those days, we were like definitely working a lot. And to come back to somewhere like Agrarian where it's like so, it's so clear why you'd cook if when you're out there like it's just everything makes so much sense and it's so like the produce is so beautiful and the like I don't know the temperature is beautiful it's all like it's very idyllic and it's like a good a a good grounding place I guess um and so one time when I returned there when I was about 23 uh Rodney said they were opening a restaurant and did I want to come and and be the head chef there and so I said yes and, and that was that yeah. Well, I want to explore what you did there um, when you took that role. But um, you mentioned you you left Tassie to, for Melbourne. Tell, tell us about that step into into food. Was it was it an easy transition? Was it something you'd thought about from when you were young? Well, I'd done I'd I'd done a year of my apprenticeship already um, in Tassie from uh, when I was sixteen to seventeen. Um, 
and I'd kind of it had been on my mind for the last for the last year of high school as well. Um, I'd kind of gotten into it as like a a weekly chore, um, I guess. My mum was uh, ready for me to do a little bit more around the house. It was either cooking or laundry, and so <laughs> it's a pretty easy choice. Um, and then I like loved it and started doing it as often as I could and reading her recipe books and doing that kind of thing. Um, and I worked for a year in Tasmania, but this was like before the time of Garage East and Franklin and, and all of that kind of thing. And there just wasn't, there wasn't a, there wasn't a lot to, to go on. Um, and I had brothers and sisters that lived in Melbourne. Uh, so I made the transition up to the big smoke, um, which was good. It was, uh, it was a, a big, a big transition, definitely. What was it like having um, grown up in Tasmania? Um, what, what did you think of the food scene in, in Melbourne and those steps into the food industry? I was so like, I was seventeen when I moved over. I was like blown away and very got very engulfed in it very quickly. Um, yeah, it was like uh, worlds away. It was incredible. Tell us about the um, first stepping stones that you had with venues. What were the real important venues you worked at when you were um, just starting off your career? Um, well, I worked at um, uh, businesses owned by Andrew McConnell the whole time that I was here. So I had a friend who'd worked at Smolt who was working at Cumulus. Um, and so I went in and applied for a, a job as a second year apprentice and got that. And that was like, uh, very pivotal in like so many ways it was like a that was maybe the second year that cumulus had been open and it was like um an extremely like important restaurant um like still now but especially of that time it was like very very different to how other restaurants were running i think um and it was buck wild <laughs> working there <laughs> um it was it was like before the time uh, I think that I sort of came into cooking right at the cusp of the time when, uh, like, you, did, you didn't make it easy on yourself, like, at all. We'd have, like, dishes working on the hot section there that had, like, like, you'd only have four burners to, to share between two of you. Sorry, maybe six burners. And you were feeding, like, 300 people a night and, like, one dish one dish on its own would take up like the grill and two pots or something like that. It was like, it was like not efficient, but it was very beautiful. Um, and like very good, um, learned a lot about cooking, like definitely in that time. And then followed, um, Josh Murphy, who was a head chef there at the time over to moon underwater and the builder's arms, um, which was also incredible. And I met lots of people that remain very dear to me today, including Josh, um, and, but then after, after about six years of working very hard in those kind of kitchens, I decided I needed to not cook for a year. And so I went and worked on the floor at Marion instead. Before we explore that, that switch that you had, take us into the kitchen with, with Josh Murphy and also Andrew McConnell. Do you have any stories of what it's like to work with them and the influence they had on you? For sure. Um, Andrew was around a little bit but I had a lot more to do with Josh, um, who, um, how do I, how can I word what he was like? He was an asshole, 
<laughs> who is like one of my a very treasured friend and like extreme mentor and one of the chefs I still look up to the most in Melbourne now. But he certainly had uh, it was it was like twelve years ago. So he he had um he still had that old way of uh, teaching lessons and etc. Which I don't think are important to go into in depth, um, but the lessons that he did teach were very uh, pivotal. There was lots of he like had a really good handle on humility. Like he wasn't ego driven in the least. Like he would be harsh if you weren't respecting the food or, or that kind of thing. But that that was sort of his like main. That was the only thing he'd really be harsh about. Um, so that was like a really big lesson out of like learnt, like humility is so important, I think, um, in kitchens and, and um, yeah, that, that was probably the biggest, re- respecting the ingredients and like having a lot of humility and uh, were, were like the biggest takeaways from working in those places. You mentioned the switch to the front of house at, at Marion. Did, did that change your perspective on the front of house role or what sort of impact did it have on you, that change? Oh my gosh, totally. Um, it's so, especially uh, back then, like it was so easy to sort of have an us versus them mentality, um, especially when you're working a lot in the kitchen and you're traditionally in a role that you get cop a bit more of a beating, I guess. Um, and then you see front of house come and you're like, oh, you bastards, like <laughs> what's that about? But then I worked on the floor, I was like, well, this is so hard, like this is, uh, this is just as stressful, if not more stressful, during service. Um, and it's a whole, like, different skill set working there. So I had, like, a new a new understanding of, like, that it was a, like, you're a team, you're all a team. And, um, yeah, so definitely to answer your question. What did you enjoy about working in front of house? Um, I enjoyed lots of things. It's really fun having, like, getting to see the customers properly and develop a relationship with them over the course of half an hour or two hours or whatever, and especially returning guests. Um, it's like a real joy to get to know those people and like there's a joy to sort of know a wine that might really work for that person because they drank this one the last time or things like that. And it's it's the same. There's so many similarities to cooking. It's a lot of like organisation and ordering in your head of like, how you're going to pace out your next 10 moves, you know? So, so that's like a fun, fast paced challenge as well. Andrew McConnell's influence in Melbourne is extraordinary. You spent a lot of years in the group. What do you think is the um, secret to the success of the group having worked so many years within it? <sighs> I couldn't say, I don't think. Um, it's like, they've got incre- like, there's so much training and room for growth and movement. Um, I guess within all the restaurants now, um, like it's been as much as I worked there for six or seven years, it's been about six or seven or eight years since I worked there last. So I, I, I couldn't comment on, um, on what they're doing now, but I know certainly then that like, um, yeah, the, the growth and training that's offered is uh, like, I would imagine second to none. Tell us about that move back to Tasmania and the, the opportunities that you were afforded. Were, were you nervous about such a big change? Totally, yeah. Um, and it was big because I went straight from working 
uh, front of house at Marion to, yeah, to then running a kitchen in the Derwent Valley, um, which was, yeah, pretty, I, I guess, a big change. But good. I was, like, excited for it by then. I felt rested, um, which is so important. Um, and, yeah, I guess it was pretty crazy. Very, very different um, to restaurants in Melbourne, obviously, because like here you have, like, your list of suppliers and everyone delivers every day and all of that kind of thing. Like in Tassie, no one delivers to the Derwent Valley. Like they just don't. <laughs> and there's no, like, there's no veg company of that kind of thing. Like there's places that you can go and pick up like your odds and ends, but you have to do all of that on your in the morning before you go and do prep. But on the flip side as well, we, like we had such connection to the people who were growing or rearing the produce and that kind of thing. Like, and it, I guess building on those foundations that I spoke about, about like respecting what you're cooking like it was crazy. Like you couldn't not. It was um, you'd meet all these people and like form relationships with them and talk directly to them. So it was this like crazy little puzzle. There was no like one supplier that you get all your dry goods from or that you get all your meat from or anything like that. You had like twenty for each different little thing. Um, but it was like great. I, like that's um, it's so important. Do you have any stories of the connections that you made with different producers and? Um some of the products that you got to use while you were there? Um, so there was all sorts. There was lots of people um, kind of – Rodney was like very – I was watching actually – the eatery opened five years ago, so it was like five years ago almost to the day. And so something popped up on my Facebook that was like a little video from Win News in Tasmania um, talking to Rodney uh, the day before the eatery opened and it was him just being like <laughs> – if you have got trees in your backyard that have got fruit, like we want them. <laughs> and that was it. Like we'd have, like we'd put things on Facebook marketplace saying like, do you have a, do you have a fruit tree? And so you'd like drive all around Hobart buying these like a couple of boxes of Maya lemons somewhere or like a bunch of raspberries from somewhere else. Um, so that was like really fun. And like, so yeah, like I said, that's like, it's not how things operate here, you know? Um, so that was pretty special. Um, and there were like, there were loads of characters uh, around. Definitely. Well, take us into the kitchen with the, with that sort of the, a way of uh, getting produce. Like what sort of impact did it have on the menu and your dish creation? Um, I think it was a pretty interesting journey food wise at agrarian. Um, I think it was, uh, I wasn't super confident in what uh, – I, I don't know the right way to phrase this because I, de I definitely wouldn't say it was me. Like I think and, and the thing that's really important to me is that it's like it's not what I was cooking in agrarian, it's what we were cooking there together. and what uh, – like I was managing the kitchen but like we every, everyone was cooking the food, you know, so I, I really want to be careful to not say that it was me. Um, doing anything but I guess um, in terms of our collaboration and that kind of thing at the start I think it took a little while for us to learn and for me to get the confidence to not uh, sort of trick things up a little bit or feel like they needed a little bit more um, and the produce was like very much crying out to just be cooked simply and we definitely did that to a stage but I think if I was doing it again I would go like for even simpler still 
um, than than how we cooked. But I guess to answer your question, that like it was the kitchen was like very much designed to cook all of this food with like extreme love and care. Like we had amazing like big a big wood fired hot smoker and wood fired oven and wood grill and like these big beautiful like inbuilt pasta cookers so we could do that and like everything was uh, built to cook this produce very well and I think that's what we did. Do you, do you have any um, menus or dishes from that time that sort of stand out as you were sort of working in collaboration with the team but sort of spoke of what the agrarian eating experience was? Um, we had potato cakes on that went bloody off all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but they were great. Like it was it was using our like sourdough starter as the batter and like locally dug potatoes, like they were awesome. So that was like very – that didn't leave the menu the whole time. Um, that I was there. Um, and there were lots of things. We had like an amazing pastry chef who um, just like had such a beautiful way with sweets and desserts. So we always had like these very beautiful pies or tarts on and it like makes such a difference. Like I don't know if I'd ever be able to do an apricot pie or something here and not like the, those apricots that we were using were just like from around the corner and I've never tasted anything. Like it was just crazy. Um, so I think things like just little things like that, we just sometimes get the most like beautiful things, beautiful. I remember getting like some really amazing blue mackerel once that was still like, like it'd been killed a little while ago and it was like a very proud moment of kind of, we just put it on just like, just sliced with some olive oil and lemon or something. And it was like, a, we don't need to do anything there. Um, so yeah, there was like, uh, dishes, dishes like that stand out in my, in my memory. Did the experience at the agrarian sort of change your approach to food? What sort of impact did your time there have on you? Um, I think it changed my approach to food a bit. I think that probably what was even a bigger lesson for me was, it was my first time being a manager. Um, so that was a really interesting time. And I think, um, from my experiences of being managed um, probably in a harsh but very effective way, I didn't really want to operate in that way. I wanted to, I wanted to be able to get the same results, um, you know, with, with kindness. Um, and I think it was an interesting lesson for me in which, uh, like, is totally possible, by the way. Like, kindness is, like, prevails all, especially in, especially in leadership, I think. Um, but I think it was probably difficult for me to draw a line somewhere between like a manager and a, and a, and a friend. And so I, I think I got a little bit exhausted, um, emotionally exhausted by the end there of, of um, probably going further than, than what was required of me. Um, yeah. So, so that was a big, a big lesson for me um, and a big, big learning, not so much a lesson. There was like, um, but it shaped, shaped me a lot, I guess. Tell us about leaving the agrarian and was was that a difficult time for you to, to leave and to take on something else? Um, well, it was sort of when Rodney offered me the job, I always said I will do this but probably only for two years because um, I wasn't ready to settle yet um, and I was still very young and still am very young and wanted uh, just wanted a little bit more experience, I, I guess, in other fields. Um, so, no, it wasn't difficult leaving. It was it had come up to two years, basically, and I was ready to um, 
hang up responsibility, I guess, for a little bit and, and do some more cooking because I didn't cook that much at a green. I did lots of like prep and that kind of thing, but it was um, lots of coordinating and, and managing more so. Tell us about the, the time after that. Um, you mentioned that you wanted to do cooking again or more cooking. Um, what? Tell us about where you, where you went and what you did. Uh, so I went overseas. I was very lucky to get overseas towards the end of 2019 before, um, you know, the travelling as we knew it ceased for a little bit. Um, so I spent some, I spent a little while in London um, and did some stages at a couple of restaurants there, um, Bright and Brawn and Peg, um, which was really good fun, really fun. And then from there went down to the Auvergne in France to a town called Clermont-Ferrand and worked at Le Saint-Eutrope, um, which is a little bistro there, uh, with Harry Lester and Mike Hazel and the team uh, for, I think I was there for six weeks, so just over summer, um, which was like maybe the most pivotal in terms of cooking itself um, thing that's happened for me. Yeah. Do you have any stories of the of your time there and that and that sort of impact that it had? Um, I remember my first day there was quite funny. Um, this is more of a funny story than a learning story, but it was just like um, I kind of got there and they were like having a very hairy lunch service. I was like, righto, uh, like what do you need me to do? And Harry was like, oh, there's like a there's a pig to break down uh, downstairs in the courtroom. Like, I'm sure you know what you're doing. Uh, I'll just show you where the pig is and then off you go. And I was like, I don't know. And it was like, hmm, fucking massive pig. <laughs> it was like so big. And I was on the floor of the courtroom. So I like, had to try and like hoist it out, like <laughs> get it up onto this bench. And like, I had done like quite a bit of butchery, but like, it was never like, we had someone who did most of the butchery to grow and it wasn't usually me. So I was like rusty and I was like, okay, so like trying to find the little spots of like where I could get enough connection to just like rewatch a video on how to break down a pig. <laughs> and then I finally got there and like broke down this pig into all these bits. And he's like, right, now I need you to make um, kayettes, which are like, I'm not sure if you know, they're just like a very Auvergne classic and Ardèche classic of like a, a big meatball or faggot basically. He's like, all right, I need you to go get some sorrel from the market. Like I'd only arrived in Clermont for on the night before. I was like, I don't, I don't know where the market is. And my phone didn't work outside of the Wi-Fi because I hadn't got a SIM card yet. And so it was just like, he was like, right, so you got to like go out the back gate, like press this button that's next to the gate. Then you go left, left again, then two rights. So then you're at the market, find this lady and you got to get it. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, I was like stumped at the back gate. Like I couldn't find the button <laughs> to get out to save myself. Um, but anyway, I made it there. Got sorrel, but I got it from the wrong lady and Harry. <laughs> so that was pretty funny um so it was a funny story but then the the rest was just like it was really interesting watching I'd never seen um I'd never experienced like such a because it's a very small like independent little bistro which are like not I mean agrarian was independent but it still had a cooking school attached you know so there's sort of a little group and like every restaurant that I've ever worked for before had been part of a big group um and this just operated in like a very different uh, like quite romantic way um, and that was like very um, exciting for sure. You went travelling to Europe just before the pandemic. What sort of impact did, did it have on, on you? Um, oh, pretty 
big, sort of the same as everyone. Um, so I got back from Europe um, in September, I think, and then worked at Franklin um, with my friend Pete Cooksley when he took over there. Um, and then that was, again, just a little short gig because I had a residency coming up at the Summertown Aristologist in uh, Adelaide or in the Adelaide Hills. And that was meant to go for two months and it started in late February 2020. Um, so the pandemic kind of hit while I was there. And so I got cut from – we basically, like, it was all go and I did – a Sunday lunch there and then on the Tuesday like everything was sort of blowing up and I was like I think I need to go home like I think I need to get get home before I can't um back to Tassie and they said yep so that was after a month and it shut down and then I came back to Tassie and same as everyone didn't work for a long time um maybe like three months four months and then had a very bizarre year in terms of in terms of work in the um, I guess in the strongest sense, but it was also great in other ways. Um, yeah, I ended up, I ended up working a little bit at a butcher um, and a little bit pouring beers at the very deservedly famous Tom McHugo's. Um, but I spent a lot of time, I guess, exploring other vocations and like finding a hobby. Um, and developing a relationship. And so there was, it was good and bad, I guess, over that time. Did, did it change your perspective on, on a future in hospitality and sort of what, what you wanted to get out of it? Enormously. Yeah. I think, uh, and I think it's been like similar for a lot of people, especially in hospitality, because they sort of had like a forced break, right? Um, and wasn't when they were holidaying or wasn't doing, no one was doing anything. So it's sort of this new perspective on like what life outside of work is a little bit. Um, and I can't speak for everyone, but for me, I was like, oh, I like, I like life. <laughs> like, this is groovy. And like learning new things or, you know, listening to lots of music and that kind of thing or being able to go out to nature, like all of these things suddenly became like far more important than they had been in the past. I guess I'd been like very tunnel visioned on hospitality all the time and this sort of like wiped that tunnel away a little bit. So it made a um, future career in hospitality very uh, much more requirements were needed from me. Tell us about how the opportunity at Public Wine Shop came about. Um, so... I used to work with Campbell, who's the owner at Moon Underwater and the Builders Arms, I think in 2012. Um, and we've remained friends ever since. Um, and when the lockdown was starting, we had a phone call and he was telling me how he just uh, got the lease on a, a shop, basically. And it was going to be a retail space and then they do a wine bar and they, and they weren't sure what they do for food. Maybe they just think the original idea was that they might get meatsmith lasagnas or something and they'll just heat them up and, and people can drink wine and eat lasagna and it'll be great. Um, I was like, yeah, cool. That sounds good. And then um, about a, almost a year passed after that conversation and my girlfriend and I were both kind of figuring out what to do. 
Tassie is a very beautiful place to live, but can be a bit hard in terms of opportunities for both study and work. Um, and she sort of decided that she might like to move uh, back to the mainland for a little bit to uh, for some study opportunities. And I was like, oh, yeah, look, that sounds great. Maybe I'll... Uh, I'll just work anywhere. Like I'll I'll go make some money or something. Because I, I guess that's the other big impact of of the pandemic was like we were poor for ages because you just couldn't get enough work and and job seeker wasn't that red hot after a while. And anyway, so I was like, yeah, great. Like maybe I'll get a catering job or or something and just kind of sell my soul for a little bit to to get back on my feet. And then. I almost feel like <laughs> this is a funny thing to say, but it is true. Um, I had a dream, literal dream, that I was working in a little like wine shop cooking pasta and I was very happy. And I woke up and I was like, oh, that's what I'd rather do. And then I was like, fuck, Cam's got that shop. <laughs> I'll give him a call. Um, and so I did. And he said, yeah, great. <laughs> let's, let's do it. Um, and so that's how that all started. Well, tell us a bit about what, what you are doing there. And is it, is it quite different to things you've done before? It's super different. It's, um, it's super different and yet there are like similarities as well. So uh, what are we doing? I guess on, on, a, on paper we are a wine bar and retail shop. Um, we're open seven days a week and the kitchen's open for dinner Monday to Saturday and then on Sunday we do lunch, uh, and any time around that we're open for bottles of wine, tins of fish, uh, takeaway, whatever, whatever you like, basically. Um, but it's really important to us the, the the model that Cam is working on with the wines is that they're all organic or biodynamic and nothing's added. Um, and that's the same with the spirits and the same with ninety five percent of the beers that we have as well. Um, and so we wanted to take a really similar approach. Um, with the food and I think especially after some time at the St. Eutrope um, and I guess more time with reading recipe books in 2020 and some of 2021 um, I just wanted to cook like very classic like recognisable food um, and there's like a lot of romance attached to that and it's very very joyful um, to me and uh, my friend and the sous chef here Simon Ballsmith just uh, do that basically. We um, change the menu fairly often when we're kind of ready to try something new. Not not as often as we used to change it because we decided maybe we should be a bit kinder to ourselves and um, <laughs> get some systems in place. Um, but yeah, so we use as much organic produce as we possibly can um, and as much from local farms, um, only ever ethical seafood. Um, and yeah, just cook really, really seasonally, I guess, um, on a, on an induction and a toaster grill. <laughs> Are there any sort of, um, dishes that you're cooking at the moment that sort of really epitomizes sort of what you're doing? Um, well, the kind of the only thing that stays on the menu is the earth mayonnaise, which is just, uh, kind of not quite soft boiled, but not quite hard boiled egg with mayonnaise and anchovy. Um, which is just like a very a big joy to um but yeah it, it it changes all the time i think this week we're going to get in some duck and brine the legs and just serve them with lentils maybe 
Um, we've hopefully got some fish coming from a wonderful um, kind of co-op called Two Hands, which works with a couple of fishermen in the corner inlet as well as elsewhere. So we might do some pickled fish later in the week. We're just trying – it's yeah, I think um, – I guess with what I was saying about agreeing with not trying to trick things up, I think that we're – doing that as much as possible here is just like if we get some lovely leeks in we'll serve them with vinaigrette and like that's a very nice thing to eat as part of a meal um and so just trying to uh cook cook that way as much as possible you mentioned the last couple of years gave you pause to sort of consider your career in hospitality and some caveats that you wanted to introduce how how different is your life and uh, have you found that sort of work-life balance yeah, I think definitely finding it. Um, I mean, I think it's, it's a work in progress, you know. Um, so I work at public, which is great. I also do some consultancy um, in a kitchen role. Um, and I, yeah, so I guess I'm, I'm finding work-life balance. I think it's it's still new. We've only been open for a year here at public, so... Um, it's only just getting into this kind of stage. I'm like, all right, like I might take an extra day off here and there and like do, I want to do like volunteering at a local radio station. So I really love music. Um, and I think, I think we're finding it. We're finding it. And it's, it's hard. It's hard to get out of old habits of, uh, like saying you'll do an extra couple of hours or like even saying that you only want to work your 40 hour week, but then being like, Oh, I might just come in a bit early and like, sort of thing and then you're like oh shit like how did I do 45 hours again um so that's uh, interesting yeah but that's um you know that'll just ease out over time I reckon it's extraordinary that you um had a dream about the role that you wanted and then landed it yes um, it's funny (laughs) What, what what do you love about what you do um I really love working with people. Um, working with Simon is a really big joy and we've been friends for a long time um, and getting to cook. We worked together at Moon Underwater and we lived together in Hobart for a little while. Um, and so it like brings me a lot of happiness cooking with him um, and like the entire team we have here. I think that's like a big... I don't know whether it's unspoken, but like that's the, I think that's the got to be the most important thing um is the people that you work with and because it's a like there's so many of course like I, we're very lucky with what we get to cook with but there's no doubt that there's like a lot of monotony in in a job of being a chef or or being a front of house person there's lots of dynamic things too but for the most part it's like you're sort of doing the same thing a lot of the time so having these people around that can bring like joy and excitement and inspiration is like a really um like uh, it's crucial. Well, Ali, it's amazing um, what you what you're up to these days after quite a crazy couple of years. Um, loved having you on Deep in the Weeds today to hear your story. Uh, please keep in touch, and we'll catch up again soon. Thanks so much, Anthony. Chat soon. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au.
stay safe and be well.